0: Hi, welcome to LSAT Boss. I'm your host, Shauna Ginsberg, and with me today again is our season two co-host, Trudell Perre. Hi, everyone. Hey, Shauna. Hey, Trudell. It's been a while uh, since we did our last show. I can't blame COVID. Uh, We've just been really busy and um, just a great round of students who have graduated with scores in the 170s that I couldn't be prouder of. And I think because so much time has passed, I've also created all these new ways of helping people to optimize their focus on test day. I've had a lot more delicious food since I last saw you. So, I'm excited for today. How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm pretty excited to be back. Um, it has been a while, and I'm very excited to talk about inferences.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. We're doing our second dose of inferences. We're going to go over some practice questions today that I think are really going to help people. Inferences tend to be this very challenging, intensive, complex question type, I think because in general... Anything that's longer than eight lines long makes my brain say to me, well, I don't know how to read. Or, or my other, my other favorite that is very common, well, I don't have time for this. So, you know, let's remember that complex questions take a longer time to answer. And of course, when you're in the process of learning, everything takes longer. That's why we don't put ourselves under time pressure when we're trying to learn material. It's also why when you remember going back to elementary, middle school, and high school, you weren't tested every time you showed up to class, unless that teacher was evil, but you weren't tested every single time you were learning and then you prepared and you got to study. And that's what all of this is. And a lot of people that are listening are using this as a supplement for their own self studying, or they're, you know, working on their own lessons with us. And so this is a great supplement to keep you going. Um, I hope it's working for you. And I hope that no matter how challenging this gets, you don't say, oh, this is too hard, I shouldn't be an attorney because it's supposed to be hard, and inferences are some of the hardest ones. Wouldn't you agree?
1: It's really sort of a different, like a little bit of a departure from the structure that we've been talking about. There's not an argument with a conclusion and a premise per se. You're actually looking for the conclusion, and so I think that kind of like creates a lot of space where you can trip up a little bit if you're not really sort of grounded in the fundamentals and know what you're looking
0: for. Right, because otherwise you're sitting there creating a conclusion that is just fun and your own perspective on life and bringing in some fun outside information. Maybe they're talking about dinosaurs and you're really into dinosaurs, so what fun conclusions you can come up with. But that's not what inferences are. They're not fun conclusions. They're conclusions in the answer choice that comply with the conclusion analyses, right? So that means if you say, why, how do I know this is true? You have to be able to find evidence in the form of premises in the argument. Otherwise, that answer choice is some other argument's conclusion, not this one. And lately I've been telling people, you know, if you're looking for something that's relevant, an inference that says bananas and oranges is not going to be an inference or a conclusion to an argument that's about apples and grapes, right? It just would be absolutely, utterly irrelevant, and it's not like you're missing something and you need to panic and try to find the bananas, right? They're, they're not there for a reason. That's the conclusion to the banana argument.
1: Yeah. And I do think, like, to a certain extent, that makes inferences really fun, too, because once you get in the habit of them, you can really look at the answer choices and almost, like, plug them back in, and it makes for a pretty easy way to check your answer once you have it to sort of say, is this actually a logical conclusion to the rest of this argument that I've been reading? Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's the same kind of semantic analysis that we've been saying before with assumption, with strengthen and weaken. If you plug something back in, or I guess arguably a conclusion, if you stick it at the end after all the premises, everything will flow to it logically and one test is this relevance test. The same subjects and verbs of the premises are gonna be contained in the conclusion or the inference. Otherwise, that's not the inference for that one. Um, you know, Trudell, I asked you how you were doing, but one of my favorite new things that I've been doing this week is asking people how they've been eating. You know, a lot of people, uh, we get so far removed from the basics of kindergarten where, like, everything was done for us and, like, we were taught how to, like, you know, eat well and sleep well um, and, and get dressed. And then we have these really fundamental issues as we get older with the basics. We have eating issues. We have sleeping issues and so forth. So I think that's going to be my new thing. I'm just going to ask people, how you been eating? And I might end up with some really good ideas for, for dinner options or, you know, I mean, that's what happened last time when we talked about pizza, so –
1: yeah, it's it's also a good question because I feel like with how are you doing, it's really easy for people to answer with, oh, good, but if you ask them how are you eating, you can't say, oh, good, as easily, like it's a different yeah. Um, and so you could more easily assess out if people are having kind of a hard week or what's happening, so. You're absolutely
0: right. I asked uh, one of my students earlier this week, how are you doing, and he goes, good, And I go, seriously, you can't come up with anything like I'm so bored by that. He goes, well, I did play a practical joke on my friend and I pretended to be the CDC and he was the head of this summer camp. And so he really freaked out. I'm like, that's pure gold. Why would you say good? That's so much better than good.
1: I love that. Um, I'm going to steal that practical joke. I don't know. Thank you, Shauna Student. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: right? Called him up and he goes, um, I understand that you're violating COVID restrictions because there are camp counselors that are within six feet of one another and we're going to shut this whole thing down. That's COVID humor for you.
1: <laughs> it is. It's something. Um, when COVID like, first started, I have to say one of my friends sent me this thing. It was like this short video that was a rap about COVID.
0: Yeah, there's definitely going to be, uh, there's got to be like a museum devoted to pandemic culture, right? I think it's so interesting yeah. how many people have come out of the COVID closet and they're like, now that I'm out in the world, I'm taking ownership of how I look, how I feel. I'm not, I'm not going to take no for an answer and I'm not going to allow myself to be at the mercy of certain societal norms and expectations, because I'm so sick of being indoors. I think we're going to see a massive expression renaissance, so to speak. And I think we're already underway. It's really cool. Um, so with that, let's talk about some other inferences, because those are my COVID inferences. Let's talk about some LSAT inferences. We're in the inference lesson if you already are following our lessons through tutoring, or you've already purchased the teachable curriculum, you'll find this at the tail end of the really, really lengthy inference lesson, and um, a ton of homework questions follow. So I'm going to go ahead and read over our first practice question, and then something tells me Trudell will be able to go through these answer choices and explain to us why the right answer is right, because that's always what we do first, and then she'll beat up on the wrong answers. So. Modest amounts of studying can produce a dramatic improvement in your LSAT score. One should study most days of the week, but one need only do the equivalent of 45 minutes of untimed test questions to obtain studying benefits. More vigorous studying is more effective, but long study sessions are not absolutely necessary. Which one of the following is most strongly supported by the statements above? I'm going to read it once more just so that you can listen to all these premises and really kind of combine the ideas together to figure out what is, what is the most logical and simple thing that I can conclude about what's being stated here. And as I'm reading it, I'm going to emphasize some of the intensifiers, some of the adjectives and adverbs. These would be things that I'd be underlining and highlighting depending on if I'm on a paper delivered or digital test. So modest amounts of studying can produce a dramatic improvement in your LSAT score. One should study most days of the week, but one need only do the equivalent of 45 minutes of untimed test questions to obtain studying benefits. More vigorous studying is more effective, but long study sessions are not absolutely necessary. Quite a bit of verbal underlining I did. I hope you paid attention to those words. Trudell, take it away.
1: Thanks. And um, your verbal underlining was very helpful. Um, So as I'm listening to this, um, things I'm pulling out um, that Shauna really underlined there, dramatic improvement, modest amounts of studying. And then they have this sentence in the middle here that gives you some good criteria that you can be looking for as you're going into the answer choices. So the first answer choice that we have here, which also happens to be the correct answer choice, A, having a long study session most days of the week can produce a dramatic improvement in your LSAT score. Why is this the right answer choice? Well, first, um, you'll remember that we underlined or thought about dramatic improvement, um, which is definitely included here. Um, And then what are they saying? qualifies you to get that dramatic improvement, like, what What are they concluding can get you to that point? They say, having a long study session most days of the week. Well, the first sentence says that we really only need modest amounts of studying, and then the second sentence sort of qualifies that with most days of the week. Um, so we see most days of the week here in the sentence. But then the third sentence also says, more vigorous studying is more effective. So the minimum that we need to put in is modest amounts of studying. But this answer choice goes sort of above and beyond that. right? It says having a long study session um, most days of the week can produce a dramatic improvement in our LSAT score. So it, it at the very least satisfies that criterion of modest amounts of studying. And it also satisfies the criteria of most days of the week and is saying that that can create the dramatic improvement we were talking about.
0: That word satisfies that you you used, it reminds me of the word sufficient, which means it's enough to get you there. And so having a long study session most days of the week can produce a dramatic improvement in your LSAT score. Yeah, that's enough to get you there. But way less was also enough, right? The long study, they said, was not absolutely necessary. So this is one of those types of logical inferences where certainly if you have requirements A, B, and C that you have to meet and you come in and go, well, I just did A, B, C, D, E, and F. Well, you've met them, but D, E, and F were not absolutely necessary. They weren't necessary at all. What was necessary, what was sufficient, in fact, was A, B, and C.
1: For sure. And I think if you're breaking this question down, if you're sort of starting out looking at these, one thing that can be really helpful is actually building that set of criteria. Like saying, as you're looking at it, okay, what do I actually need to get the dramatic improvement? And then from there, you can say, well, does this meet that criteria? And that helps you to kind of get back.
0: And that that sounds like you're using that phrase, not absolutely necessary, as the trigger to make you think in that way about, well, if that's not absolutely necessary, then what's the, what is absolutely necessary,
1: right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And those would be your criteria. Something that's not absolutely necessary. And you can kind of pick that out with the words, right? Um, Modest amounts of studying can produce... But then later on, we say more vigorous studying is more effective. So the minimum is this. And you can kind of use that semantic analysis to really pick out what those criteria are.
0: Sure. Can you maybe beat up the two most, uh, I don't know, the the answer. The other answer choices that are, that are kind of red herrings but might trip people up? Why don't we break two of them down?
1: Sure. B is sort of a good one because it includes the dramatic improvements that we talked about. So it says, it's kind of in the same structure, right? Doing X thing generally produces dramatic improvements in LSAT scores. So it has that dramatic improvements piece that we knew that we were kind of looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it says doing the equivalent of an hour of untimed test questions two or three days of the week. It has that hour of untimed test questions which meets the criteria of 45 minutes of untimed test questions mm-hmm. so again you could sort of be thrown off there and say oh well it meets that and it also shows a you know it, it parallels to a dramatic improvement in LSAT scores that's a great answer mm-hmm. the reason why that's the wrong answer and why it's really important to read every single word in the answer choices in order to decide if it's right, is this phrase two to three days of the week. So reading it again, doing the equivalent of an hour of untimed test questions two or three days a week generally produces dramatic improvements in LSAT scores. That two or three days of the week is the piece that doesn't meet our criteria, because we say one should study most days of the week. It doesn't meet that sort of minimum threshold that we know that we need to to get to in order to actually meet the criteria and have a good inference.
0: Yeah, and that kind of actually establishes for us that you do need to know some outside information. You need to know there's seven days in the week because most, which is not an actual logic term, but is intended to mean, you know, more than half, I guess, right? So... More would be would have to be greater than three point five days, right? Some, by logic definition, means not all. And if if B said doing the equivalent of an hour of untimed test questions some days a week, that would be easier to eliminate because they use the word most. And so here you yeah you do need to know how many days a week there are, and then do the math and go. Okay, so which word, most or some, goes with this? I think that was a great one for us to, to review because there, the two or three isn't explicitly mentioned, right? It's the, it's the converse of the most that we needed.
1: And I would add, too, um, that's a really, really great point. So you're sort of bringing up that there is a very little bit of outside knowledge. And I think this really connects well. At the beginning, we were talking about how you really don't want to bring, if you have a lot of external knowledge on this topic, like say that you were a studying and test taking expert, which by the time you take the LSAT, you may be. Um, One can hope. <laughs> you don't need really all of that knowledge. Just need really general basic knowledge, you know, day, number of days in the week, yeah, like just like really sort of basic. Things. Yes,
0: however, I will say you also need to know business 101, like what is revenue, what is profit, what is cost, okay. right? I don't think you have to know like in great detail what it means, but you have to know that those numbers go hand in hand in a way that if you're trying to make quick profits, then you could somebody that is trying to dispute that might say. No, actually there's a lot of costs and this will take a long time for this business venture to be completed so those are terms that i think people need to know which i every once in a while i i discover wow you do need to know a bit of like undergrad common sense but like but it's still basic right and these are still words that you probably had to learn through high school anyway so just one more that I think is interesting to look at. Uh, Dee says, aside from studying, there is no way to improve your LSAT score. And Trudel's just sitting here smiling because she just knows that that's the wrong answer. What gives it away for you?
1: Well, so the whole, all of the premises that we have above, are talking about how to obtain studying benefits, how to improve your LSAT score. So really the words we're pulling out here are things going in the direction of improvement or a dramatic improvement. D is talking about a situation or making an inference about a situation in which there's no way to improve your LSAT score. There's really nothing that kind of links that back to the premises, right? even if you're doing sort of a semantic analysis going through there. So I think it's tempting because it talks so much about studying. And so it's very tempting to try to, like, again, make that logical jump, make an inference about something that's not studying. Mm -hmm. Um, But you really don't want to do that because it has no way of tying back. Because we don't talk about anything that's not studying. We don't talk about situations in which LSAT scores don't improve. So it really doesn't fit.
0: All right. We're going to do one more today, but before we do, I don't know if you're a big tomato person, but I now have like really big tomatoes sitting on my sill getting ripened. And I I love making these Parmesan crusted tomatoes that I broil in the oven and I put them over pasta and they are, oh, fantastic. Highly recommend. Highly recommend. A little bit of garlic, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper you can all, you only have to broil them for like 8 minutes and they're so crispy they're like a like a pizza without the bread you can just put it on pasta and it's like great you can throw some roasted vegetables on there tomato season making it happen Mm-hmm. But you, you're this. I remember you were telling me it was like another season. You're into like the garlic,
1: escapes, garlic yeah. scapes, and also ramps. Yeah, um, anything kind of like oniony, and those are very early season. So I'm, I'm always hype about them because it means that the farmers market's on its way back. So. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I actually have. You know, as we're sitting here, a peach that is sitting by me, tempting me, that I got from the farmer's market this past weekend. So
0: Yes, we got some a couple of days ago, and I think they're ripe today, so I'm pretty excited. Yeah. We're going to do a quick MythBuster, then one more question, and then that'll be it for Inferences Part 2, and we'll be back with flaws next episode. Myth, accommodations aren't available for people with post-concussion syndrome. Well, let's bust that wide open. That's actually the reason I started this business, is I had a traumatic brain injury and severe post-concussion syndrome, and I couldn't walk and I couldn't see for about a year. And I tell people that need accommodations, if anybody made me take the LSAT tomorrow, I would test with triple time over two days, stop-start clock, paper-delivered test on large print font because I had to blow out of my orbital socket. And medication on hand because I have a migraine disorder now. And if anybody told me that I couldn't have that, I would appeal. And if I didn't, if I lost the appeal for any reason, I would have to sue because this is what it means to stand up for people with disabilities. I work with a lot of people who don't know that I had a brain injury and I probably waited to reveal it until I could help people get perfect scores so that people didn't do that thing where they discriminate against people with brain injuries. I work with a lot of people who have had multiple concussions. Two new accommodation students in the last week from different countries, both of whom had been helivacked out of car accidents that had head injuries, broken ribs. Oftentimes, they describe the same types of experiences being in dark rooms for months on end, light sensitivity, uh, brain fog at times. Most importantly, a lot of these people have slower processing speeds or they have anxiety about the possibility of having slower processing speeds. And these types of neurological conditions 100% warrant accommodations. I don't mean they weren't 100% accommodations, although that might be what you need. But you are 100% a qualified individual who needs accommodations and just because you didn't have them in high school or college does not preclude you from access. Because the standard is, do you have a current functional limitation? And the answer is, yeah, a lot of people do. And if you don't get accommodated, all that means is you're really competing against your unaccommodated self, you know, who might then be able to take the breaks that they need and not have a migraine, right? Or test on paper rather than deal with confusion and tracking issues on digital. You can see how ramped up, <laughs> that's the word of the day, I guess, I get about these things because I'm training future attorneys and... It's up to us to stop at least self-discriminating because otherwise we cannot expect ourselves to be good advocates for those who need to go somewhere and hear this absolutely non-negotiable way of saying if you qualify for accommodations and you have a disability and it's impairing your cognition on test day, don't be on the losing end of a competition with your functioning self because that's, that would make me very sad. Um, The accommodation service that we have, it's 100% successful. I love using my law degree to help people on this side of the aisle. I used to represent schools. Now I get to help students make sure they're accommodated. Don't be afraid to stand up for yourself. Your schools will not find out. That would be a violation of your rights. Okay. I'm going to calm down a little bit and let Trudell teach you this last question, then we'll hit the road and this was a shout out I, I did a stylistic imitation of a question that you'll see in prep test 62 to 71 made it about cheerleading cuz one of my first bosses in private practice was a secretly um, she had been a cheerleader but i only found out cuz she didn't want anybody to know i only found out when i had this case where i had to represent the school because a tiny little cheerleader hadn't been caught As a flyer, she hadn't been caught by the cheerleaders that were on the ground when they tossed her in the air and she filed a lawsuit. So I didn't know a lot about cheerleading, learned a lot from my boss very quickly, and I put that into this question here. So it reads, cheerleading coach, compared to many other gymnastic sports, cheerleading is highly risky. Failing to communicate with your spotters as a flyer often leads to poor falls, loss of points, or even injuries. Such communication failure is very likely to occur when young cheerleaders try to emulate the high tosses of more experienced flyers. Which of the following is most strongly supported by the cheerleading coach's statement? And we're going to just reduce it down to two possible answer choices so that you can think about just these two before Trudell tells you the answer. So it's either A, experienced flyers are unlikely to fall. Lose style points or experience injury from communication failures. B. To reduce the risk of falls and injuries, young cheerleaders should avoid trying to emulate the high tosses of more experienced flyers.
1: All right. We started with the right answer last time. I think we could start with the wrong answer and beat it up a little bit. So A is incorrect experienced flyers are unlikely to fall, lose style points, or experience injury from communication failures. So there is not a lot really to support this answer in the premises. Um, It could be tempting because you see in here that they talk about experienced flyers and that the communication failures are likely when young cheerleaders do it, and, and so you might be tempted to assume the opposite, but you can't do that. There's really not much in here about experienced flyers, other than that we know that young cheerleaders can often have communication failures and then possibly have injuries as a result of emulating them. So because we really don't have anything about experienced flyers, we can't really assume anything about them. Um, so A, cannot be correct. B, B, is the right answer, so I'll read that one again. To reduce the risk of falls and injuries, young cheerleaders should avoid trying to emulate the high tosses of more experienced flyers. We know in here that one of the things that can lead to poor falls, loss of injury, or loss of points or injuries is failing to communicate. And then we also know that communication failure is very likely to occur when young cheerleaders try to emulate high tosses of the more experienced flyers. So sort of putting all of that together, we can infer that the young cheerleaders, when they're emulating the older cheerleaders and they're doing these, uh, you know, really dramatic high tosses, they have these communication failures and therefore become injured. And so if we do the opposite where they avoid trying to do that, then we would very likely at least reduce the risk. Notice that it says reduce the risk, mm-hmm. not make the risk zero, not make all of their routines perfect, just it reduces the risk of falls and injuries, which is an inference that we can make.
0: Great. Great, great, great. All right, we're going to close out today with our final mythbuster myth Applying as early as possible in the admission cycle is always best. Let me say that one more time. Myth, applying as early as possible in the admission cycle is always best. Well, I'm gonna bust that wide open and tell you about Mac, who I just finished working with a few months ago. We did LSAT prep together, she ended up with a 167. She had got her dream score, so she was satisfied, but she was really interested in going to some schools where a 167 was like 25th, 35th, 45th percentile, and this was a very, very competitive season. There were 23% more applicants that were, or applications submitted this year than in 2020, so unlike other students who didn't take it again and got stuck on certain wait lists. Mac took it again. Mac got a 176. Mac got $35,000 a year to Georgetown. So when anybody says, oh, you know, the advice I've been getting is I should really apply as early as possible in the cycle. And and you come with all this anxiety about getting it in as quickly as possible. Look, the doors open around October, November, but they don't close until May, June. I mean, I just finished here in July, 2021. I just finished... Doing applications for people who were still trying to apply for the 2021 fall cycle. So don't apply if you're gonna get waitlisted or rejected. Wait until you have the scores that you need. It's similar to not registering for an LSAT exam until you're actually seeing the scores you're looking for, because otherwise, what you're you're expecting to see 12-point gains. And in six weeks and so you what you take a practice test every week and don't see what you're looking for and so you have a panic attack for six weeks that's not very effective wait until you get the score you want give yourself time to get the scores you want then submit a killer application package and get yourself in and get yourself scholarship dollars that's going to be it for us today uh we will see you back here again for flaws which used to be one of the hardest lessons to teach and now my students are just rocking it and I can't wait for you to learn the strategies too. Bye everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you back here next time. Thank you so much Trudel, for joining us again and we'll both be back here for Flaws. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Shauna. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.
1: Sometimes I don't know what to do I
0: just wanna be free, fly away, but to be fly through the tree right by you, you by me, everything you can
1: leave to me in the world of tea feels like a- This
0: podcast has been brought to you by Ginsburg Advanced Tutoring. Find us on the web at www.GinsburgAdvancedTutoring.com.